I am excited to be kicking off Habakkuk, or as we called it growing up in Georgia, Habakkuk. So, but I'll try not to say that. So, um, anyway, but hey, look, let me go ahead and pray, and we'll uh, we'll kick it off. So, God, we thank you so much just for a time to come together this morning and to uh, just to have our hearts and minds turned uh, toward you as we have sang these songs and lifted up prayers and just had moments with each other. Um, I I pray that that is what has happened, Lord. Uh, I know that you want to work in that way and incline our hearts to you in in all matters of life and at any given moment, but uh, we also know that as a people, we set this time aside to come together, Lord, and just to have, uh, Lord, just the vision of what this life is in you to be unified as as one church, Lord, to have, Lord, uh, our hearts stirred once again so that we would be revived to live a life that honors and glorifies you, God. We pray as we come to your word this morning, Lord, that our hearts, lives, minds would be open so that it would not be something that we just gain uh, intellectually, academically, but something that uh, your, your truth, that by the Holy Spirit penetrates our hearts. And as, as Megan prayed, that it stirs us up, makes it messy, Lord, that it is unable to ignore. And Lord, that we would be reminded of your goodness and faithfulness and our need for you, Lord, no matter what is going on in our lives or our world. So we give you this time now. Lord, be glorified as a result of our time together and coming to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Habakkuk 1. If you're using one of our Bibles under a chair near you, if it's the white Bible with blue letters, it's page 457. If it's the one with the black border, that's page 667. And I tell you that because this is another small book in the Old Testament that unless you know where it's at, you probably will skip past it 50 times before you find it. Um, So we just finished teaching through uh, Jonah for four weeks, and Jonah was a minor prophet. Uh, Habakkuk is a minor prophet as well. As we said often through Jonah, it's not that he is a less talented prophet, it's that the the length of his his book is short. That's why they're called minor prophets. But Habakkuk is another, another minor prophet. Jonah was different in the sense that it was an autobiographical uh, prophecy, one that we heard the truth of God through Jonah's life as God spoke to Jonah. Habakkuk is different as well because it's not, again, Habakkuk coming as a prophet proclaiming the truth of God to the people of God, but it was, it's a prophecy that we get, a truth that we get through a recorded conversation between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk is actually going to God on behalf, kind of speaking to God about the people he represents, the people of Israel, specifically uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. So Habakkuk, we don't know a lot about him uh, besides his name, and that by, by, the inf- by kind of anecdotal and inferencing, uh, we can tell that he was a prophet of the southern kingdom of Judah during their twilight years, right near the end before they were all uh, taken into exile. So if you don't know, Israel for most of its time was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, but all people of, the, of, of, of Israel. Um, And then thinking again to just the full context, the northern kingdom uh, had already fallen in the previous century. Now the southern kingdom is following close behind them. So with all that being said, we'll we'll cover some more context as we go throughout these uh, throughout these studies as needed. So let's just go ahead and just jump right in. All right, we're going to read our entire text for the day, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11, and then we'll work back through it, okay? So if uh, you can read on the screens or in your Bibles, um, we also use uh, the Bible app. Uh, There's a live event there that can help guide you. So let's read. 
Here we go. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, why do you, uh, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Uh, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. This is God talking now. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, which are the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are, through the, uh, they are, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoffed, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. All right. So starting off on a really positive note today. Um, what's going on here? Um, we're going to start by setting the stage just a little bit more to help us really connect uh, with what's happening. So as you already heard, Habakkuk is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. And things are bad. Things are really bad. There's corruption, there's violence, and there's injustice. And worst of all, all of these things are being perpetrated by the leaders of the, of, of the Israelites, of, of, the, of the leaders of Judah. So it's not like some outside forces are, are imposing these wrongs. It is actually from the, the people of Israel and Judah, from the leaders. Habakkuk has lived to see Judah going, he's lived to see them go from being a people of righteousness and peace and prosperity under King Josiah to what it is now in just a few decades under Jehoiakim or Jehoiachin is debated, but it's the next two kings after Josiah, but they were both pretty rough. And they were more interested in political success and gain then leading to set apart the people of God in righteousness, which is what the king was supposed to do for the people of Israel. So Habakkuk is now here. He's surveying the land as a prophet, a representative of God to the people, and he's looking at the injustice being done by the very people of God, the people that God said, you are mine and I am yours. Through you I will be a blessing to the entire nations. My promise will be delivered through you. And, he's, and Habakkuk's looking at these people that got set apart for a holy purpose that are now turning against God once again, and he's just fed up. He's frustrated. He's exasperated. He cannot believe what he's seeing, these people that God has done this work for, and he's frustrated. And as we think about this, as we come into this text for these next few weeks, we, I mean, I pray that we are mindful. We've all seen injustice in our world. We've seen it it's just in our faces all the time. We all know the hardships that we face. We have the echoes of our desperate prayers ringing in our ears right now. We know that we face a similar, a similar uh, reality in different ways. So the question that Habakkuk is facing is the one that, that we must face, and it's this. Do we trust God? Do we trust God that he is faithful to his promises 
in this world, even when we do not understand what or how he is doing what he's doing? Do we trust that God is faithful when we don't see what we would call his faith, like when we don't see what we think his faithfulness should look like? Do you trust him? That's what Habakkuk is being faced with, and that's what we are faced with. Faith is supernatural trust. In Habakkuk's prayer, we can see some things that we struggle to trust in God's work. So first, when we come to his prayer, we, are, we see this first struggle. It's this question. Do you trust God for when he will work? Do you trust God for when he will work? Look at Habakkuk's prayer, starting in verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long? Shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Cry or, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? So those first words, Oh Lord, how long? Do not miss the desperation in Habakkuk's prayer. And recognize this. If he's praying this with this desperation, how long, O oh Lord, will you let this go on? You have to know this was not the first time that Habakkuk prayed these prayers to God. You have to know that this wasn't the first time that, God, that Habakkuk came broken on his knees before God on behalf of his people, lamenting, God, turn their hearts, restore justice. How long, God, are you going to hear me cry and let it go on? Look at his prayer in verses 3 and 4. It says, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you oddly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. See, Habakkuk was one of the faithful in Judah. And he wasn't the only one. There were others, but they were far outnumbered. I mean, do you notice that it says the righteous, that the wicked surround the righteous there in the latter part of verse 4? It's dire. He's, he's desperate. He's tired. Can you identify? Have you been there before? We've all prayed that desperate prayer of how long. We've all known seasons where we have perceived God to be silent. We've all felt the desperation. We've prayed, how long, O oh Lord? How long will I be lonely? How long will I fight this insecurity? How long will I face this anxiety? How long will my marriage struggle? How long will my fears overwhelm me and paralyze me? How long will the world seem to be so full of hate? We ask how long because we perceive God to be idle, as Habakkuk did. We perceive him to be silent. We know the desperation. When we, and, and to start off with, to start building our foundation, assuring up our foundation, just we must first remember that God is never inactive in, his, in what we perceive to be silent. He is never absent when we perceive him to be silent. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord you God, your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So why do we end up in these places of, of, of seeming isolation or silence in regard to God? If God is present, if he is always active, if he's always working, did he stop being God here? Did he still have a heart for his people? He did. So how do we end up here? 
And first, we have to acknowledge that our finite minds cannot always comprehend all that God is doing. He works in infinite ways on all levels at all times. We are limited to our one perspective at one time. Yes, we have the advantage of, of information of history. We have the information through media of what's happening around the world, but yet we are still limited to what we can hold in our minds and comprehend. God is not. You have to be reminded, and, and not just that, he is wholly different than we are. We often ascribe our image to him. And while we were created in his image, he is wholly different than we are. He is a holy God where we cannot attain. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So just first, as we ask this question, we have to acknowledge that God works in ways that we can't always understand. Second, our response, our response should always be to pray to have a sober assessment of ourselves and of those around us. Because I will tell you this, any evidence of a broken fellowship with God is, is, a, is a result of sin in this world. Because we can go to this and say, well, is it because I've sinned? Impossibly. Possibly it is because you're unrepentant. Possibly it is because you have a rebellious posture and spirit in you. Possibly it is because you are just willfully walking in rebellion towards God. Possibly. Possibly it is that you're amongst the people that are doing that. But what we know is that any separation is because of sin. And any remedy of sin is only found in one place, and that is the righteousness of God. For us, achieved in Christ and accredited us in Christ, but even here, we see that we must start with ourselves and pray to see if there is any need for confession or repentance. We must have a sober assessment of ourselves and the world around us. So just start with humility. Lay yourself bare before God. Be honest like Habakkuk was. Hey, how long, Lord? I'm tired of this. Be honest, but then just be there. Submit it before God. And just understanding that this, this possible judgment could be personal or communal. Again, like I said, it could be that you have unrepentant ways in you. It could have, you could have areas of your life that you need to surrender, that you need to allow the Lord to conform to His will through His transforming work of His truth through the Holy Spirit. It could be that you are amongst the people, like Habakkuk was, who rebellious and God was working for His, his, uh, his work of, of redemption for a people. Regardless, our response should be the same no matter what. See, sinfulness or the lack of righteousness has is, is, is brought this on, so seeking righteousness will allow you to have peace in the midst of the struggle, knowing that you are in right standing before God. I mean, thinking about just life, Amber and I, and our marriage, it is, it is much better to face a struggle in our life when we are in one accord than it is when we are in disunity. Just, just practicality, just practically speaking. And so if you're going to face, there will be trials in this life, there will be struggles, and in this situation, thinking about this, first and foremost, no matter what, you seek righteousness, therefore you can, be, you can have peace in the fact that your life is aligned with the will of God, knowing that that is God's ultimate will for you, ultimate design for you. You know, I think it's Piper says it 
very well. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him because in our satisfaction in him, our life is inclined to his will and his purpose. So there is peace, there is joy in that obedience. So we have to pursue righteousness. We have to, to fight to kill idols and sin in our own heart. We have to, again, surrender, lay down, and say, God, reveal my heart to me. Pray the prayer, that the, saying, Lord, here's my heart. Show my wicked ways if there are any so that I could lay them down before you, repent, and be restored. And as you've done that, then we have to fight to free those around you from the idols and sin that they are bowing to. Again, personal and communal. Be a part of fighting against the rebellion, the oppression, the violence, whatever it is that is around you. Don't just cry out that all is broken. Don't just cry out that, 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 that you can't see the way out. Don't just wait for someone else to fix it. You've been given a new name. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given the truth of God. So therefore, you, you can go, as you pursue righteousness and as you come and fight for the freedom that is in Christ for those around you, you will see this restoration happen. So go, do, be. That's, that's our first response because, again, any separation is from sin. So let us pursue righteousness. It's not self-righteousness, but the one that shows God's rightness in this world. You think about just tangible ways. I was talking to Dave this week, and I, and I love what he pointed out. You know, he says, if you're broken over abortion. He said, go. He said, go, adopt. He says, go. Go and love at-risk youth. Be a part. If you're, if you're broken over addiction, go. Come alongside those who are bound. If you're broken over the law of our land, you know, yeah, go vote. Vote your conviction. But also, love your neighbor. Be a part of your community. Be a part of building into it the truth of God that flourishes his creation. Love that. One last thing we're saying about our trusting when God works. We talk about, the, we think about this coming before God and so strongly Habakkuk saying, how long, God? Know this, and maybe, maybe there was some sense of being uncomfortable with that. Maybe you're like, well, well, does Habakkuk get to do that really? We are free to ask God any question we have. We are free to ask how long, but the posture of our heart matters. Be humble, not as if God answers to you, but as if you are his. We ask because he's the only one who has the answers. We ask because he is the only one who has given hope. Again, after all, Scripture tells us, cast all your cares upon Him. And if you look around you and you're broken over the world around you, you're broken over the, the sin and brokenness of your people, who better to bring it to? Who better to bring your desperation to? Bring it just as you are, but bring it humbly. Lay it before God and say, this is yours. I need you to help me understand. I need you to bring me peace. I need you to show me peace so that I can abide in you and be a light for you right here today and walk in faithfulness. We must remember that while God is working in extremely personal ways in our lives, He is also working on behalf of all creation and the full redemption He intended for all people for all time.
again, not working just in one, on one level, not working just in one direction. God is infinite in who he is, and he's infinite in all of his ways. Therefore, we trust all of our understanding to him. We come to him with our little perspective. So we come honestly, we come boldly approaching the throne of grace, but submitting our understanding to him and recognizing if our understanding disagrees with what God says that he is, then it's not God that's wrong, it's our understanding that's lacking. And so we need his Holy Spirit to illuminate his truth in us so that we could understand. So come honestly, come often to God. Lay yourself bare before him, be real, but then be humble and trust him. So we have to trust God when he works. God has the end game in mind, and so should we. So we often have a hard time trusting God on when he works. Another, another area that we find difficult to trust God is, is asking this question, do we trust the way God works? So do we trust when he works, and then when he works, do we trust the way that he works? Let's look at the rest of our passage, verses 5 through 11. It says, look among the nations and see. This is God speaking, reminding you. It says, wonder and be, it says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. I don't know about you, but when I read this, verse 6 through 11 don't seem to follow, follow verse 5, and don't seem like a great answer to a, an honest prayer when I think of it. Like when I come to God and I'm saying, all right, God, here I am. I'm being honest with you, and I need you to help me. It's supposed to come back like with good news. That's how God's supposed to work, right? I mean, that's how we, it's like, you know, okay, here, okay, finally, God, I'm humbled. I'm contrite. I'm coming before you. All that I have is yours. Okay, so here, here it is. Now help me understand. And, and he's supposed to, like, be gentle and nice and say it's all going to work out. It's all going to be good. You know, here, here's, here's, what, here's what's happening. Here's what you can't see. And here's, you know, that's what's supposed to happen. This doesn't seem to follow that pattern. It doesn't. Verse 5 says, says there's going to be, you, you will be in wonder and be astounded. Because of, and I'll be doing a work you would not believe. Which, by the way, it, it is kind of ironic that that verse often gets quoted kind of as that little nugget of hope. Like, you know, it's kind of the right there in the category of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a great verse too. Um, but, this is funny what God's what follows this. People often miss that. That what, what follows is this terrifying picture of a people coming to overtake. I mean, did you catch all that this Babylonian army was capable of? I mean, it, it, it's terrifying. It's insurmountable. So, what is God saying? Why would God say you will be in wonder and be astounded? I'll be doing a work that you would not believe. 
to distill it down quickly, I would say this. God is reassuring Habakkuk that he is at work and that Habakkuk can trust him. He says, yes, this is, what, this is what's coming. But I'm in it. I'm working. So just out of the gate, it's kind of this sandwich. We'll get to the other, the other part of the sandwich, the other piece of bread in a minute. But, it, but God is setting him up for reassurance, even in the face of struggle, even in the face of hardship, even in the face of something none of us would ever want to face, something that any of us, if we're honest, would think that a loving God would not allow any of us to face. But God's reassuring Habakkuk that he is at work and that Habakkuk can trust him. God is reminding Habakkuk that his work must be complete. And he's saying, I am working to completion. So what is God's work here? Thinking first off in the context we're in, what is God's work in this time, in the old covenant with the people of Israel? First, it is to keep the people of Israel as his own. He has promised that they will be established forever, and through them will come hope for all nations, which culminates in Jesus, by the way. So first it is to keep his people so that through his people all the world could be blessed. And so God is working to keep his people. And then secondly, to keep the hearts of his people belonging to him. That their hearts would be only unto him. See, we've seen over and over again that God is willing to do what it takes to restore the people of Israel to righteousness and peace. That is, for the glory of his name and the good of his people. From the day the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, you know, prince of Egypt, all that stuff, you know, parting of the seas, fire, smoke, all that amazing stuff. From that day, from the day that God, in an, in an amazingly miraculous way, delivered the people of Israel out of this, 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 this horrible hardship of being ca- captives in Egypt as slaves, they've gone through this cycle, through the centuries, of, of resenting and rebelling against God and then experiencing the judgment of God, and then crying out, and God answering, and then repenting, and being restored. It has happened over, and over, and over again. It happened, it happened in the wilderness, it happened through the, the period of the judges, and they cried out for an earthly king, they said, we want a king here on earth, it's not fair, everyone else gets to have one, we just have this king in heaven, and God gave them the, the earthly kings, and just continued, and then it ended up in a split kingdom, and just one, over and over again, over and over again, this cycle. God restoring, this period of peace, then resentment, rebellion, God's judgment, crying out, repentance, restoration, over and over and over again. But God continues to restore them because of his ultimate promise. And I'll tell you, we are no different. God has worked the same way in yours in our life in this, this period of having a new covenant in Christ. In Christ, it is the exact same. Romans 5.8 says this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not just saying because we were sinners, Christ died for us. What that is saying, if you look at the tenses of the original language, it is saying while we are actively going to continue to sin against God, He still, in His love and grace, sent Jesus to die for you and me so that we could know so we can know salvation, we can know hope, we can know restoration, we can know fellowship with him once again. 
So he knew that we would continue to sin, but Christ died for us. He worked on our behalf in our rebellion. God is working in the same way in our lives. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So it is when we face the chastisement of our souls, of our lives, of our circumstances, that we are brought to our knees and we are humbled and we repent, that we are restored and we know God's love. We know his fullness. We know his character. We know who he is. And that is a kindness. It is never fun to be broken. You don't ever get there through a happy trip. You know? I mean, you don't. It's through, it's through the hardship that you're brought to your knees. I think of a friend who went through something horrible in her life. And I remember sharing her testimony afterwards. And she said, now, while of course, while of course I would love to have not had to face the pain and anguish, she said, I would choose to go through it again because now I understand God all the more. Now I know his love. I know his care. I'm, I, I'm, my, my faith is now a relationship and not just a trinket around my neck. It is through that hardship through, that God brings us to our knees and we repent and we find actually peace and we find restoration, we find wholeness. God here is challenging the desires of Habakkuk's and our hearts. When he says, hey, you're going to be an awe and wonder. I'm going to do things you can't explain. And then goes on to just tell of this horrible thing. These horrible people that are coming to take you. And it happens, by the way, that people of Judah end up in exile. The question is this, as he challenges our hearts, do you truly believe that there is nothing of greater worth than God's will being done? First off, in the world, but then personally in your life. You know, I think about, does the melody of Psalm 8410 ring with joyful confidence in your heart? It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Is it come what may, I will endure anything for the sake of your name. I will do anything for the sake of knowing you as you have made yourself to be known. God is asking Habakkuk if he is willing to go through whatever may come, if it means that his people would be restored. God's will be done and all glory given to God. That'll push against your real heart. Are you willing to go through whatever may come so that you could understand God all the more, so that you could know his love, so you could know his mercy, so that you could be more well equipped to be a light in this world, so that you can know that peace that comes. It is only through going through that 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 peace that surpasses understanding that will truly be real to you. Are you willing to go through whatever may come and persevere with faithfulness and trust? So this leads us to our last area of struggle for trust that we see in these passages. And I would say it's this, do you trust who God is? Do you trust him for when he will work? Do you trust the way that he will work? But I'll tell you, do you trust, are you able to trust who God is? Because that is paramount, paramount to these other two. This matters if we're going to exist in times of such turmoil, which I think we can all identify with. 
sounds really familiar to me when I think about what Habakkuk is going through. We're facing a culture where leaders are corrupt and laws are mere suggestions, free to be twisted, as benefits those who are in greatest power. It just sounds really familiar. If we're going to trust when God works and the way God works, then we must trust God himself. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, God just finished, so as we, as we think about this, God had just finished describing a terrifying picture of, of great military power that's coming. And then he says, he ends it with this, whose own might is their God. This is our other piece of bread and our sandwich. Beautiful illustration, right? Do you realize what God is saying here? It's subtle, but it's huge. God is saying this. He says, yes, this great nation is coming to overtake you, but but they will only be able to do what I allow them to do. Is that comforting? (laughs) It's still going to happen. But they will not go beyond what I have allowed them to do. Their might is in their strength. He's reminding Habakkuk that while the Babylonians will be strong, their strength is limited to their own abilities, to their own masses. God's strength is immeasurable. His might is undefinable. The Babylonians will not exceed the purpose of God, but indeed will be his instrument. So why, I mean, does that bring into focus why it matters that we can trust God? Because the way I work, my sense of fairness and my sense of justice, I often find myself more in the sense that this would not be right. This would not be, this would not prove God to be who he says he is. But let's just look for a moment on who God is. Because, again, it's only good news if God is good, loving, and merciful. Let's look at a few verses. God is love. 1 John four sixteen. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So God is not just doing acts of love that he has seen someone else do or has ascertained that, that, that are good. He is indeed the source, the root, the anchor of love. And therefore, all he does is loving. And love works on behalf of those that are the objects of its affection. We, the pinnacle of his creation, those that he created for fellowship in the garden, walking side by side, communing together. Who's, he whose heart broke when we rebelled that there was now separation, who immediately set a course of action at the great expense to himself as, of his only son so that we could be restored and be saved. That's love. He has no other choice to be, lo- to, to be loving because he is love. God is trustworthy, Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God is timely. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is mercy and grace. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God is indeed all of those things and so much more. 
Will you trust him? Him. Will you trust him? Not, not the perceivable works of his hands. Will you trust him? Or should I say not just the perceivable works of his hands? Will you trust him? You see, at the time Habakkuk was, was being called to rest in a hope of God's promise to a people, his ultimate promise would be done to the people of Israel. So it was a future hope in that sense. We are called to a same present and future hope, but ours is in Christ. And you see, we know our outcome. We know the hope that is in Christ. In Jesus, through the work of Christ, we can have confidence and hope in this world, come what may, because what happened, we do not cons- com- consider these present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us on the day of Christ Jesus, the day that we are restored, the day that we are reunited. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is unfathomable to me to imagine a life of meaning and hope without an idea that there is an eternal redemption. So our hope is a present and future hope because of Jesus. And because of God showing all of his character through the work of Christ, we can trust God. We can trust him as a heavenly father. We can trust him as loving, as trustworthy, as unchanging. And therefore, we can trust him when he works, and we can trust him how he works and why he does what he does. So even in these times of trial, he has called us to faithfulness and to fight for righteousness. That's our response, both in ourselves and on behalf of our community and world around us. Let's pray. God, such a, a, a big truth, God, and one that is easy to nod our heads at because we, we, we get it, we get the hope of it, we, we, we get the goodness in it, but yet it is so hard for it to travel down to our hearts, God, and actually affect the way that we experience life, the way that we see things, God. And so I just pray for each of us, Lord, first and foremost, Lord, that in our hearts we would recognize you as God. Lord, as sovereign, as good, as loving, as creator of all things, the only one who is just, the only one who is worthy of praise in our lives. And Lord, that we would just find comfort in that. We would find assurance in that. And out of knowing you, God, and out of, out of the way that you have made yourself to be known in us through Christ and through your word and the Holy Spirit, I just I pray, Lord, for there to be a confidence in our trusting in you, a confidence in our faith, Lord, that is not bound to the circumstances of our lives or this world, or that is not bound to, to just current events or, or legislation or just the ups and downs of daily life. But, Lord, that your goodness would be defined by you, and, Lord, that we would enjoy the riches of experiencing that personally. And, Lord, that our lives would be a reflection of that, a life of purpose, a life of courage, a life of intentionality, a life of mission, a life of humility, a life of prayerfulness. So God, wherever each of us are at right now, Lord, stir us up. 
Lord, if you are calling any in this room to belief in Christ for the first time, I would just pray for courage for them to step into that invitation and surrender. I pray for the church, God. I pray, Lord, you would not allow us to slumber. You would not us not allow us to cower in fear or to be overtaken by the things of this world. Lord, but to live as a citizen of your kingdom, uh, living well in this world for your glory and for the redemption of those around us. So, guys, we come to communion now. Lord, just continue to turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.